Hi, everyone. Thanks again for joining us for USA Basketball's Youth and Sport Podcast. I'm Jay Demings. I'm the Youth and Sport Director here at USA Basketball. And I'm joined, as always, by 10-time gold medal winning coach and USA Basketball's Coach Development Director, Coach Don Showalter. Coach, I'm excited to continue our talk today on player development, and I know you are too. Yeah, I think this will be really good for coaches to get some uh, actionable items that they can use in practice with their team uh, for a lot of the different items that we're talking about. Absolutely, and I, I know last episode, um, just to sort of update our listeners, we took a look at USA Basketball's four C's for player growth, and that's communication, comfort zone, choices, and, and the importance of competing. And we also discussed the coach's responsibility in this process. So we're looking to take a little bit of a deeper dive into that. Um, so in this episode, we're going to give our coaches four essential behaviors that they can use to impart those four C's in both their uh, teams and their players. And so these are going to be actionable items that you can use as a coach uh, to impart the four C's. But the best part is we really feel that they're authentic. So coach, maybe just speak a little bit to why authenticity is important in the field of coaching. Well, I think uh, being authentic as a coach, first of all, develops a lot of trust between you and your players. Uh, if you're authentic and you come across that way with your drills and, and how you communicate, uh, the players have more trust in uh, what you're going to say and what you're going to do, and they kind of buy into your philosophy. And I think that's really important as a coach. So authenticity uh, also comes from the fact that uh, you as a coach uh, we'll, we'll give them things that can make them better. And I think that's what everybody's trying to do, uh, become better as a, as a player. And so that helps with that aspect of it also. Great. And, you know, what we like to try to do, and we, you and I talk about this a lot, is we like to give real live actionable items for, for coaches to be able to implement, um, you know, things within their programs. And so we're today hoping to impart four actionable coaching behaviors that you all can use as listeners and as coaches at all levels. Um, because I know coaches, a lot of the things we're going to go over today, you use with uh, everybody from your high school teams to your junior national teams and, and, and within camps and things of that nature. So we're hoping to give four actionable items. Obviously there are a lot more, but we'll focus on four today uh, and things that you use. I know uh, within your teams, is that right? Absolutely. And I think uh, over the years, uh, I wish I would have done these uh, as a younger coach because I think it would have made me a much better coach uh, coming out of college if I had access to some of these things that we're going to do. So I think coaches will really enjoy it. Yeah, me too. The The first action, again, the purpose of these actions is to impart what we call the four C's uh, within their players. So the importance of communication, getting players out of their comfort zone, making good choices, and competing. We call those the four C's. So the first action that we'd like to give you as coaches is what we call the communication circle. Coach, what is the communica uh, communication circle? Yeah, this is just how we end practice. Uh, I think it's really think it's important to end practice on a, on a positive on a note, so to speak. But what it is, is we just gather our team around uh, in a circle. Uh, we hold hands. And uh, and then we ask, we talk a little bit about um, different different items for the day. And so that's how we end, end the practice up. Uh, and, and I think what happens on this as, as well is that uh, players get to see each other. They're looking across from each other. They're not 
Uh, it's not a tiered approach where you have your, your good players ahead of your players that aren't so good. Everybody's on equal basis when you get in that circle. Right. And so, um, so I've got, I've got this visual in my mind of the coaches in the circle, uh, the players in the circle holding hands. I'm assuming you are outside the circle. I guess you could be in the middle of the circle too, as a coach. Um, but, but, but why do you do this? What's the, what's the importance of actually physically facing each other like that? Yeah. Sometimes uh, you raise a good point, Jay. Sometimes the coaches are, are part of the circle as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes we aren't. Sometimes we just want it to be a player led circle as opposed to a coach led circle. So, um, so at various times, depending on what we ask is that the coaches are a part of it as well or not. Um, the circle, it, kind of creates a connection I think it allows uh, you know allows us to reflect on 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 the practice and encourages players to contribute their thoughts because every every player will contribute to the circle itself and it has nothing to do with the good players or the how, how, how good a player you are or maybe how less skilled a player you are everybody uh, contributes in, in a certain way on this right okay so um in in practice or uh, literally to implement um what would you suggest you know how do i go about this every day um obviously um the first um hurdle to pass and at least in my mind would be getting players comfortable in 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 starting right and then it becomes probably um ingrained in, as part of your culture but how how do you actually implement this on a on a day to day yeah, uh, first of all, it's important that you do it on a daily basis because I think it has more positive effect uh, doing it every day as opposed to just once a week. Um, second thing is you, you, you really get in a circle and you hold hands. I mean, we're talking about maybe getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, we're, we're teaching the players how, how to communicate uh, with each other. So uh, they're in a circle holding hands. Uh, we would say, uh, I would say as a coach, I would say, Tell the player to your to your right uh, what what he did good in practice today, and we're very we're very uh, we're very uh, conscious of the fact that we tell them that they must look each other in the eye, they must say their first name. So the first player would turn to his right and and, and say, for instance, Billy, I like the way that you really hustled today for loose basketballs on the court, and then. Billy would turn to the next person, and we'd go around the circle that way. So uh, again, it's it's a type of communication where you're teaching the players not only how to communicate, but you're leaving them with some real positive thing that the their teammates saw them do in practice, uh, which I think is really important as well. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I think you know you talked about. Um, at the end of practice, so obviously a lot of the topics that you're going to um, discuss within that circle um, would be basketball related. Um, you know, maybe just speak a little bit more to some of the off-court um, or the importance of some of the off-court topics that you could also implement within a communication circle and maybe give some real-life examples of some of the things that you've heard in those circles, whether it be with your high school team, and I know you coach also your uh, grandchildren's team, so I know you've coached eight-year-olds, for example, but you, but also in the junior national team program, and maybe how when you start to get into some of those off-court topics, some of the things that are revealed. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point, uh, Jay, because this really you're trying to develop a lot of trust 
in your team. And so uh, you, you ask questions like, you know, what what did the person beside you do well in practice? You might have have a question, uh, what's your favorite food? Uh, what's your who's your favorite rap singer? Uh, those kind of things are all just to let the kids know each other that they build build some trust there uh, between players and coaches. And, and then as you get more comfortable with that circle uh, after a couple of weeks, I think then you 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 look at some really kind of tough questions that you ask. One of the best questions that we ever ask uh, with our team, high school and our national team, is is say one thing that nobody would know about you. And uh, again, you you'd address it to for that day. It might be going to your left today. Um, and I would say you you mix up your circle. You don't always you're not always telling the same player the same thing. Uh, we always say use your leadership voice. Say it loud enough so everybody in the circle can hear what you say. That's really important. And then everybody, everybody is listening. Nobody is talking or nobody is uh, saying uh, anything else while that's going on. So that's a, that's a great example of, of building some trust. I mean, we've had anything from uh, on that question to um, you know my my dad's uh, my dad passed away when I was five years old. Uh, my my mom was in jail for drug use or or uh, you know. I, my uncle was was my coach growing up, and, and you know he's a guy I look to a lot. Just some really kind of heavy things that, that players will will give out with that question, and we find out that's the kind of question that brings in complete trust with the players to each other. Now you carry that on the court, they'll trust. You know they'll make the extra pass because of the trust factor. Uh, they're in help defensive position better because of the trust factor. So. We really think that's an important uh, part of this communication circle as well. So, you, you know, this, I don't know if our listeners do, but I used to coach back a long time ago, and um, so I'm taking notes. And so if I was to take the communication circle and sort of try to tie it back into the four C's, what I took out of it, um, obviously our listeners could take um, what they want out of it. But going back to the communicate comfort zones, choices, and, and competition um uh, sort of lessons that we're trying to impart here. Um, circles encourage um, players to express themselves. So that that sort of builds those communication habits that we were talking about. Going into comfort zones, um, based on what you said, the consistency and the predictability of circles creates those sort of safe spaces for young people, you know, so they can go outside their comfort zone. Connecting it to choices, uh, my takeaway was that circles provide that sort of built-in opportunity for players to reflect and talk about their choices, both the good and the bad, obviously. Um, some of them are their choices, some of them are their life circumstances, obviously, too. Um, but how they react to those life circumstances is um, on them and is their choice. Um, and then competition. I think investing in the player's voice shows that players um, matter. And, and when they matter, they're more confident to take those risks, um, obviously, and and compete. So I, I like that first action. I, I, I don't, um, I think it might be my favorite, but let's actually take a look at action number two. Again, we're trying to tie these back to the four C's. Um, and um, we've had a couple of speakers at our different coach academies. And I know Jay Billis, the analyst and, and uh, broadcaster from ESPN is one of them that talks about um, catching players doing something well or good. Um, so action two is catching our players doing something good. 
what do we mean by this? What is what does this look like? Well, I think the first of all, you you recognize correct behavior. I know as as uh, you know when you're coaching eight or nine year olds or even high school players, at times you have you have behavior that is maybe not conducive to the whole group learning and, and paying attention. Um, and sometimes you 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 know you just ignore that behavior, but when somebody is doing the behavior that you really like as a coach, then you would call call that out. For instance, uh, for instance, if you would say, uh, "Hey, uh, Billy, I really," uh, you'd stop play and say, hey, "Billy, you did a great job of showing leadership by being in line uh, and getting your teammates in line." Uh, so mm-hmm. you so you would model that behavior. You would you would have Billy has modeled that behavior so everybody can see this is the kind of behavior that you actually want as a coach. And uh, for for a lot of reasons, I think that's good because now you're getting the whole team to see what you want as a coach, and they're buying into that, as opposed to just calling out negative behavior uh, all the time. It's important for the players to see, well, what what, what behavior do you want me to do? And uh, obviously, you know, you're, you're into as a coach, you're into change <coughs> change of behavior. Mm-hmm. at times as well. Building on that a little bit, I mentioned that I coach, obviously you coach far higher levels and longer than I did, but did you ever have a time in your life, I know I did, where um, I really focused on the, I'll say the negative, but sort of on the behavior correction element more than I did on what they were doing well. Obviously, if I did my job as a coach, my players were doing something well. I'm sure yours were too, but I always used to focus, I remember this, distinctly on the things they weren't doing so well when did it change for you like when did that first of all I guess did you ever focus on the negative and then secondly obviously it did change for you but when did that happen yeah I think yeah I think naturally just as a coach you know we focus on things that are are maybe a negative behavior or things that we you know we want to correct and so we get in that mode where we're always looking for, okay, this has to be corrected or this is a negative behavior as opposed to okay, let's let's really pick out some positive things that are going on on our team and uh, make a point to point that out to your team. So I, I think as a coach, uh, when we consciously, we have to consciously really think about uh, pointing out positive things. And I've always said, you know, there should be four positive things uh, said for every negative thing. And uh, to me, as I, the longer I coached, that was something that I felt really brought about, brought about a change in behavior. When I pointed out, constantly pointed out positive things that happened to players on our team, and then everybody else kind of fell in line because they want that, uh, they want that feedback as well. They want that positive feedback. And, and what it does too is establish role, roles on your team for each for each player. You know, you, if you constantly praise a guy for a player for rebounding, uh, that that establishes his role without telling hey, this is your role. Uh, so those all go into the fact that you know calling out players for something they're doing correctly is is probably uh, a coaching aspect that is overlooked, and that, that should be. Uh, used more often than it actually is. And, and you use rebounding as an example, but I think it's 
I do think it's very important to be specific about what it is that you're sort of calling out and authentic. Like we mentioned, don't just say good job, but explain exactly what it is you liked about uh, something and, and why you liked it. Rebounding being a prime example, but it could be, I suppose, anything. And um, the other thing is uh, focusing on progress, not necessarily performance. Can you maybe speak to that? Because I mean, our listeners are dealing with players at all different levels, but even at the highest levels of what of the teams that you've coached, I'm sure progress was really important for you. Yeah, absolutely. Even with our uh, elite elite team, with, a, with our junior national team, you know, sometimes they're so physically gifted that the skill level is not caught up to their their, their being so physically gifted. But but I would say uh, what has really helped with players is is to see where they've been and where and, and now where they are now. For instance, I would say I would call out a player and say, uh, if we're working on our offense, and I would say, um, you know, I would stop the play and say, Jimmy, uh, two weeks ago, you could not go to your left. And now look at what you're doing. You're going to your left and starting the offense and making that pass, dribbling with your left hand. So you've made a lot of progress in that aspect. And I think when players really focus and know that they're improving, they, he may not have even thought about it, know that they're improving. I think this makes a big statement for your whole team is that, you know, it, the improvement takes place over a period of time. And that as a coach, I'm noticing the improvement. And that makes the players, I think, feel really good about where they were at at one time and where they're at now. really comes back to um, building um, habits too, like integrating um, goals and things like that into team. I know I specifically used to have a problem with um, uh, certain players where it wasn't very easy to catch them doing something right or doing something well. <laughs> and I had to literally look for things and set some sort of goals because their goals might be different. And I know, and, and we try not to name names here, but just as an example, you've coached and everyone from the Bradley Beals and the Andre Drummonds of the world to the Jason Tatums and, and um, Harry Giles and, and, and folks like that. But like, maybe it's easier to catch them doing something well. But I, but I also know that you've coached some players who you really need to take them from point A to point B and their point B might be totally different than Jason Tatum's point B. Um, so having some goals set based on the player um, in my opinion, has been very helpful. But moving moving on a little bit, just to uh, kind of get into our other actionable items here. Action three is um, what we call uh, coaching and questions and sound bites. And again, we're trying to tie this all back to the to the four C's of development in the players. Um, so while we might like to talk and talk and talk as coaches, it might not be really helping out um, the player in terms of their own personal development, which really, at the end of the day, uh, wins and losses are important, but that's really what we are doing as a coach as well. So, so what do we mean by coaching in questions and, and specifically coaching in sound bites? Well, I think this is is part of uh, as part of growing as a coach as well. Um, first of all, uh, I always say coaching sound bites, not paragraphs. So, if you coach in paragraphs, you're you're giving a five minute expose on maybe a drill or a skill. And uh, the, the attention span certainly is not that long with with that age group. So uh, instead of over-explaining it, what you would do is you would focus on one specific part of that drill or that skill. And then 
let players kind of experiment with it, figure things out. I, one of my favorite sayings is, well, you know what, you figured out uh, as a player. I think that gives them some ownership in uh, in what's going on as well with with not only their progress, but gives them some ownership being a part of the team and, and becoming better uh, for the team itself. So uh, I think uh, when you're really helping players, a lot of it comes from trying to have them be the focal point for themselves. Hey, what can I do? How am I going to figure it out? And, and there are certain drills, obviously, that will help them do that, and that I'll get into here in a bit. It's not easy to do. I know that as a coach, and I know you know that too, and it takes a little bit of a transition to be able to do that because I think a lot of times, as long as we feel like we got everything out, we feel like we did our quote-unquote jobs, but really, any teacher or coach, your job's not done unless unless the student really has has taken on what you've taught them. So, um, so I know what it is. I know why we do it, but maybe give some examples about how to do it. I know you gave a ratio example, uh, four to one, uh, basically four positive things for every one sort of uh, piece of instruction, I'll say. Um, but you know, what are some other things coaches can do to sort of um, coaching questions and, and sound bites? Yeah. I, uh, again, I think as a coach, maybe during a game, uh, when you take a player out of a game, I think it's very, uh, first of all, you, you need to con- you need to communicate with that player. Uh, not all, not necessarily why you took him out, but all right, uh, maybe ask him. You know, wh- what did you, what did you think about that last play, or how could how could you make that last play better? What what happened from your aspect on the court? Without being critical right away and telling him what you saw, let him explain to you what he saw, because I think there's. Uh, communication gap there a lot of times with players. Same with, same way in practice. You know, I think we, we say uh, to a player, um, all right, how, what's it, how do you feel comfortable getting over that screen? So you're asking them a question. What that does, that engages them. They're not just being a rote learner. They're not just doing it because you said to do it. They're thinking about, well, you know, what is the best way to get over the screen? Or maybe I can't get over the screen, and I'm going to tell you that. So I, I think those that, that's part of really teaching them how to play the game and making them feel a part of of their own, like I said before, of their own improvement. Uh, a lot of times I will ask, hey, what do you think? You know, maybe a player tells, ask me, well, I can't get over this screen. And I would say, what do you think? How, how would you defend that screen then? So those are ways that you can ask ask players that they're, they're, the thought process is there and they're thinking about uh, how they can adjust, how they can make themselves a better player. And then, and then also it's just allowing them to figure it out. I often say on the court, you know what, you, you figure it out. Uh, we do this a lot of ways by playing three-on-three in practice situations. Uh, we, we always say, you know, when you play three-on-three, the court's much more open, but it allows the players to really figure out how to play. Uh, it figures that they have to figure out both offensively and defensively, uh, how to get the ball movement. And it's just a much easier way to teach uh, different skills and enhances the skill development in a three-on-three method, as always playing a five-on-five method or just working on straight skill. So, uh, again, the, the questions, uh, coaching questions and sound bites is, is extremely important in uh, developing your individual player and 
in the, in the individual team. And what would you say to the, obviously we talked about your uh, experience coaching elite level players. What would you explain to the coach out there that's coaching an eight-year-old team and uh, they're, they're thinking, uh, great coach show, that, that sounds really great for the players you're coaching at that level, but does coaching in sound bites or letting them quote unquote figure it out work for, let's say the eight-year-old, um, the coach of an eight-year-old team? And do you have any examples that you can give maybe that, yeah, it does in fact work at that level too? Yeah, actually, you know, when you, when you coach a younger, the youth, the youth level, first of all, you know, they're, they're there to play. Uh, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're there to love the game. So as, as a, as coaching a youth team, uh, you would like to have them figured out. And again, a three on three is a great way to do that uh, with, with even youth players uh, where they, they could kind of play, figure out the spacing, figure out where they should go, where they shouldn't go uh, as well. And then uh, over extending your description of a skill or how to do it. First of all, their attention span is not going to allow that, but give them one thing. For instance, when you're working on dribbling, you would say, uh, keep that elbow close to your body, get that wrist going up and down to dribble the basketball. And then that's, then, then do the reps. Uh, so you have short sound bite, uh, sound bites to describe that skill, to teach that skill, and then you go to the reps. Then you might make it, all right, now uh, we're going to do, a, we're going to advance to a little, a little lower dribble. So now you bend your knees and keep that dribble below the knees. So uh, you're progressing with that, but you're giving short sound bites to those skill levels without trying to give the whole skill all at once, which which most young players don't understand anyway. Ray, my favorite example you gave was, I think it was your grandson's team where um, you were watching a practice and they might've been three on three, even they were playing and he, I think I'd cut back door on a particular play and scored a layup. And I think after practice, you had told me you had asked him, Landon, how did you know to to cut back door to get open? And he said, well, I just figured um, that if the player played me too tight this way, I can just go to where the open space is and it would be easy. Um, and that's one of the favorite things that I remember. But really, um, while that seems so simple, it really does, uh, I think, translate to all levels. Yeah, it certainly does, Jay. You know, we even do that with our with our elite team, you know, with our with our junior national team, where they may be playing the three on three game, and then they're they're having to figure out, you know, cutting and spacing. But that's a great example because now when they're figuring out, then they remember that much more. It's not like a coach told them to do that, but hey, they figured it out. Gives them confidence in in trying new things. I think that's really important as well so uh, those are you know those are really critical moments for a player to make make huge advances in their game when they can when they can just figure it out on their own because that backdoor cut that eight-year-old made to get open I mean he doesn't even know what a backdoor cut is but he you know he just said I'm, if I if I can't catch the ball here I'm just going to cut to the basket he got the pass and that's a that's something that will stick with him um, and and his teammates for for the length of his basketball playing uh, years because he figured it out. Right, and then, then it's not so robotic, but it's more intuitive. And then, um, just kind of wrapping up our third action item, which again 
for our uh, listeners and the coaches out there. We call it coaching and questions and sound bites. Um, trying to apply it back to those four C's. Asking questions, for example, shows that the coach is really invested in what the player has to say and encourages their voice. So obviously they're going to communicate more, which is the first C. Uh, the second C, which is uh, the comfort zone. When players sort of know their voice uh, matters, they're going to be more comfortable going outside that comfort zone. Um, and then as far as choices go, it sounds like if you can coach in questions and sound bites and um, the players answering questions provides um, them some practice at thinking through the possible outcomes of their choices. So they're naturally going to get better at making decisions anyway. And then sort of that layering question approach that you had mentioned earlier um, helps drive learning and confidence. And like we were just talking about with the example of the backdoor cut, that confidence is going to be needed at some point to perform under pressure because obviously for those of you out there that are coaching, um, you can sit in a practice and blow the whistle and stop the play and get them to, to do exactly what you're looking them to, to do. But to get them to perform it under a competition environment is is, a, is an entirely different skill set. And so we think coaching and questions and sound bites is transferable to the four C's, which in turn is transferable to the player's ability to grow on the court. And then also, like we mentioned, off the court. Okay. So in our last uh, actionable item here anyway, and how it applies to the four C's, we talk about uh, critical uh, moments and basically coaching in those critical moments and allowing players to try and explaining to them why. And so what do we mean by that in coaching in critical moments? Well, you, 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 you hope that your players will try, uh, you know, they're the ones that are actually playing the game. So you want to give them some freedom to, uh, you know, to tr to try things that are going to make going to make your team better in order and 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 for them to get better. So uh, again, uh, a lot of times what my saying goes, figure it out is, is exactly what how that goes. The, the try and why deal. So if if I continue to say figure it out, they're going to have a have confidence in in uh, thinking that hey, I'm going to try, I'm going to work, I'm going to really see if 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 this works out for me on the court and, and they're going to be more apt to, uh, first of all, they're going to be more apt to become a better player because it's kind of by trial and error a little bit. And if they feel confident that the coach is going to allow that to happen, why I think they make great strides uh, in, in how they are. And, you know, remember we, we want players to get better and that's what, that's what we're working toward, especially, you know, after they figure out, at a young age, they want to they want to become a good player, and then they're they're working on how to become a good player, and and this is the this is the try and why method really uh, enforces the fact that they can become a better player by trying different things on the court. Which is great because if you celebrate trying, which is not easy to do, as you know, <laughs> as a coach, uh, it involves some letting go, um, but it encourages a healthy relationship with risk taking uh, obviously speaking in basketball terms uh, which is a great way to learn um, so um, from if the takeaways right in addition to providing some feedback to players on what to do and how to do it if you share the why you're doing it um, it seems like you you're going to have a nice foundation for a player to um, grow upon um, ultimately i think we all want players to feel good about their actions their decisions and then obviously you've mentioned this now at length, but 
promote that sort of deeper understanding um, uh, of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And hopefully that helps prevent younger people who are particu particularly vulnerable to taking the coaches uh, instructions personally, which I know um, at all levels uh, permeates the game. And it's not a personal thing, but more of a, um, a foundational element of why we're doing this particular drill or why in some cases have to do it over and over again. Um, so moving on and kind of wrapping up with that fourth action, which is uh, again, to everybody out there, we're calling it a critical coaching moment. Um, and I think what we're talking about too here, Coach, is like, this is important, right, for it to translate to things where situations that you don't control as a coach, games, substitutions in the heat of the moment after a player makes a mistake at a really important moment. Um, is that kind of what we're talking about here too? Absolutely. I think, you know, you're uh, a coach uh, has to be really uh, careful in some ways about, how they react in critical moments. I think you can you can certainly um, give a player confidence in, in critical moments by what you say and how you say things. Uh, so if you're if you're talking about critical moments during a game or especially after a player makes a mistake, you know they know they've made the mistake. Uh, let's not dwell on that mistake as a coach, but let's say, all right, what could you have done better? What will you do better next time? Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and by uh, one of my things is you know, this is mistakes are part of the game, and it's how you react to those mistakes that are going to improve you as a player. So um, I think if players know that, it's it's and and players really don't want to make mistakes. I mean, they're trying to mm -hmm. do the best they can. They're trying to please you as a coach, uh, and I think they just want some feedback as to all right, if I try this, it's going to be okay, or if I if I do something that uh, during a practice or during a game that uh, will help uh, my skill level or help our team do better, is it okay if I do this? It gives them confidence to step out of the box, so to speak, that sometimes coaches put players in. And we want we want players to play freely. We want them to be uh, not be not be a robot, not be overthinking the game. We want them to be out there playing. So as a coach, if you you know, if you uh, are always on, like we said before, if you're if you're always critical, uh, they don't quite get that aspect of it. Uh, but if you are, if you come through uh, with the aspect of, hey, you know what, making making a mistake is okay, but let's learn from that. And let's not make that same same mistake again. Uh, I think it's real crucial for the for the players. So, sort of like creating a mistake ritual, if you will. Um, finding a way to help your players let go of those mistakes because they're, they are a critical part of learning and they're going to happen whether you try to micromanage it or not. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, some players, I think, uh, coaches may not like it, but some players will say, or tell a player, my bad, if they make a mistake. Well, that's mm -hmm. one mechanism. I think that's a mechanism that players use to kind of get rid of that mistake yeah. uh, as well. So, you know, those are kind of mechanisms that are good. And it can be, you know, it can be anything. Uh, a player makes a mistake, uh, you know, he, he can, um, you know, make a thumbs down or whatever uh, that he gives to his teammates. I think what that does is, is, all right, that's a mistake, but now it's over with. So you you, you forget about it. Uh, you lose it. And I, I think that it helps you, it helps you progress to the next play more quickly. Exactly. 
Um, well, that's well said. I, I think, you know, trying to tie these back to the four C's, which again is ultimately a part of the player's growth. Um, if, if, you know, those critical coaching moments, if you will, um, and how it ties back to better communication in your players is that by engaging with the player during those critical moments helps them practice communicating and then focusing on the try and why helps those players to be um, sort of less defensive in those moments, but also it gets them out of their comfort zone because knowing that a coach supports them in trying new things allows the players the freedom to, to try new things. Um, Really, really the third thing is that when players take more risks because they know that their coach is going to support that try, um, you know, it helps players develop a deeper understanding of the game, encourages better choices, encourages them to make better choices. And then finally, um, you know, trying new things when it counts is how we improve the try and why um, to create an environment that supports the players in doing that. But in turn, a byproduct of that is that you're also probably going to win more games because obviously if they feel more confident in um, making those um, trial and error type of mistakes or, or feeling supported through those mistake rituals, it's going to help you as a coach in competition, right? Because obviously that's going to translate for you, if not in the first game, certainly by your, you know, by the time the playoffs roll around. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Okay, I think, you know, uh, there's there's really a lot that goes into game basketball. And when you take a look at the four C's that we, we talk about, communication, comfort zone choices, and competing, you're taking those four C's and it's really uh, a basis for really everything you can do on the court and off the court. Uh, the, the communication is is uh, comes out with the try and the why. When you ask players questions, that's all part of the communication develops confidence. You want players out of their comfort zone a little bit uh, in order to try new things. And, and of course, the choices uh, on the court and off the court are important. And then the competing, how, how the players compete. So you, you put all those four things together, uh, I think over, over time, the skills develop at a rapid rate, your team develops rapidly, and, and you just have a better uh, a group of players that understand the game better. Well, Coach, that's great. I think, uh, you know, we gave four behaviors. There obviously could be a lot more. Um, but the goal is to try to give these coaches that are listening um, some authentic ways to impart those four Cs. So, um, you know, I want to thank you for that. Again, um, we can, I'm sure you and I could go probably three hours just on this topic alone. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of uh, tough to chop everything up into a digestible form. Um, but to give a little bit of a preview of next week, uh, which would be our fourth episode in this series, our fourth and final episode in this particular series anyway, um, we're going to dive into the on-court component of USA Basketball Player Development as it relates to our four levels. And we define those four levels, we call those four levels, introductory, uh, then foundational, advanced, and the performance level, which is up at the pro and Olympic levels of play. So we're going to discuss each level next week. Um, and what planning for a season, uh, a, a, an individual practice, and then, and then an individual game should look like at each of those levels. So, um, Coach, I just wanted to thanks, thank you again for joining me. Um, I think it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next week. And um, I just I think we gave a lot of coaches today listening to this, I think we gave them some really practical things that uh, they, can, they can look at and see if it applies to their team and, 
and very usable things. So uh, that's what we're here for, and I uh, appreciate our listeners uh, listening into it. Me too, Coach, and thank you, everybody out there, for joining us again. This is the Youth and Sport Podcast for USA Basketball. I'm Jay Demings. I am the Youth and Sport Director. I was joined by Don Showalter, who is the Coach Development Director, and just so happens to be a 10-time gold medal winning coach. But if you have any questions or ideas or anything that we can help you with at USA Basketball, um, just email us at youth, that's Y-O-U-T-H, at usabasketball.com. And we are looking forward to seeing everybody next week. So take care.